Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the latest episode of Happiness and Humans. Um, I am here today with Enjar Bulu, um, who I just found out that her first name in Zulu means happiness. <laughs> what, how, how cool is that? Yeah, super cool. So maybe that's why I was drawn to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe I need to rename the podcast. That sounds much better. Enjar Bulu <laughs> and humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you always know? Did you always know that your name meant happiness? Yes, I did. Um, and another interesting fact, it's, it's, it's the boy version. Uh, so normally boys are Njabulo. And then if it's a girl, there's usually an N-O at the beginning, non-Njabulo. Um, and I remember having such a hard time uh, in primary school because the Zulus were always correcting it. Like, you're a girl. You should be non-Njabulo. And I asked my grandmother who gave me the name and she said, happiness is happiness. There's no male, female to happiness. <laughs> so yeah. then I got over it. Yeah. So <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, that that comment in itself is so deep. We could just talk about that, that comment for the rest of this show, couldn't we? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. And was um anyone else, did anyone else in your family have that name? Was like your was that your nanny's name or anything or was that um uh, no, it was just uh yeah, this child has brought us happiness. So that's I love me. it. <laughs> I love it. Right. Well, please um we know what your name means, but please introduce yourself. Sure. So, yeah, I'm Jabulo Mashiro and uh, I'm an HR director. I work for Vodacom, which is part of the Vodafone family. Um, I've been in HR for 20 years this year, actually. So an important year or milestone in my career. Always have been in HR, very passionate about people. That's definitely part of what makes me happy. And that, well, that, that's going to be my next question, which is what makes you Njabulu? Um, yeah, so as I've just mentioned, definitely people. Um, growing up, I was definitely much more of an introvert. I think now I'm more of an ambivert. I actually did an assessment recently, so somewhere in the middle. Um, but uh, So I might not have appeared to have a big love for people, but that's more maybe shyness. And I think over the years I've grown in terms of confidence. I do enjoy um, adding value into people's lives, seeing people grow, helping them grow. Um, and I guess in the field that I'm in, I've been able to do that. Um, winning also makes me happy, being part of a winning team, being part yeah. of... Uh, you know, creating success for other people. Um, my career, I've been blessed as well to really work for incredible organizations, brands, helping them win. Um, they've helped me win in my career. Uh, so those are some of the things that make me happy. I love that. You're the first the first HR director that I've spoke to that, that has referenced winning. Um, and I like that because uh, it's, it's a team. It's a team thing, isn't it? That's what you're talking yeah. about, I presume. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you win through others. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I want to get like people that have had such an amazing career on is the podcast. I'm really lucky the podcasters, people, CEOs, HR directors, but also lots of people starting out in their career. Um, so I'd love to hear from you, like what your number one career learning is, like when you reflect back. Is, is there anything that sticks out or is there lots of things? Um, I like the fact that you mentioned when you reflect back, because I think when you're in it, you don't always appreciate it. But looking back, definitely for me, my biggest learning has just been around showing up over and over and over again. Uh, yeah. And for me, that means not giving up. Uh, that means uh, aiming to add value, no matter how small things might seem. 
um, remembering the bigger picture of why you're doing what you're doing. Because, yeah, sometimes HR, but I think also just a lot of jobs, careers can feel, you know, thankless and um, we're just doing stuff. Um, yeah. But it really all adds up. So for me, it's showing up and showing up. And it could also mean just being professional, having the passion. Um, those are some of my biggest learnings for sure. I love that. And you know, just to connect the two things up, you know, you said at the beginning, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you said the word shy. I don't know if I put that. Did you say shy, that you were shy when you yeah. were young? Yeah. <laughs> um, can, can you talk us through that as well? Because HR, you're obviously needing to connect with a lot of people. And I'm, and I'm also, again, I'm speaking to people that are starting out their careers. So I can imagine someone who's thinking about going to HR that's shy, that may be thinking, oh, maybe that's not the career for me. Do you have any advice for someone that, that you would say is shy that may be put off of HR because they're worried that they're going to have to connect with lots of people? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's something even for myself over the years I've had to deal with because I think in, in a lot of organizations, you know, if you were to put a personality to an organization, a lot of organizations are, uh, you know, outgoing. You, you need to have a voice. People who speak up um, tend to be noticed more. People have to often speak up for the work that they do to either sell it, position it, etc. And so if you are somebody who might be more introverted or feeling a bit shy, it is definitely intimidating. Um, I would say social confidence is something that I gained over the years and just through practice, sometimes being a facilitator, training, building the confidence. Um, but I also think it's not something that should hold anybody back. I think... Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say find safe spaces, especially in the beginning, when you're building your confidence, uh, where you can share your thoughts. Um, if you initially don't want to speak in a big meeting, but afterwards, you know, write a note, share your reflections, but don't miss the opportunity to engage. And yeah. engagement doesn't look like uh, always screaming um, above everybody else or making yourself something that you're not, but yeah. it's recognizing the fact that um, if you don't mark your presence in some way, we might not know that you were there, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, even in career advice, I often tell people, say, I don't wanna be political, I don't wanna, my work must speak for itself. And one thing I've learned over the years is sometimes half of your job is actually speaking for your work and not yeah. for the sake of politics, but really uh, sometimes to create the consciousness and the awareness of the work that you're doing, uh, to, to, to give it legs, you know, to get support for the, the things that you are mobilizing or you're trying to achieve. And that takes practice. Um, and it's not always a comfortable space for people. Yeah. Do you have any, that's such an interesting point, you know, like you said there around like creating presence in, in a, in a workplace. And do you have any like little tips on how someone can do that in a, in a general week or a general year? Because as you say, there might be more people that are outgoing or louder like how does someone who's a little bit more quiet and reserved show show themselves in it especially in a virtual world i suppose where that may be even harder yeah um i think for me it's i i mean earlier on we spoke about winning and delivering through others i think also having uh a network and building relationships uh helps uh either somebody who can help you because maybe either they have a bigger voice or they understand what it is that you're trying to achieve with your project. I found that helps um, a lot. Uh, and so in a virtual world, um, I think it's even more important to still invest in the offline relationships, you know, um, 
and and and, and that means uh, reaching out to people, checking how they are, uh, maybe even asking for an opportunity. Can I provide more context on this project? I'd like your opinion on this. Um, how do you see this working? Because indeed, I mean, even now, I was talking to somebody this past week about one of the challenges of joining a new organization, particularly a huge organization in the virtual world is really, uh, it can be transactional and you miss out on, you know, the smell of the place, the corridor talk. Uh, when you're done on a topic, you switch off and you move on to the next meeting. Unlike being in a meeting room, but you have to be quite consciously create space for those connections where, you know, um, uh, it's not a formal agenda. I just really like to get to know more about why we did this last year. Do you understand the rationale for the decisions that we've made um, since I wasn't part of the organization? Ask questions, um, you know, invite people into those spaces where you actually can create engagement um, yeah. to be able to build the relationship. I think that's quite important. Now you're, you've got all this experience, how... Have you got any tips on how you encourage people to ask more questions? Because sometimes people can be scared, can't they? I remember yeah. my boss said to me, he said something like, you ask too many questions. And I said, and then I asked a question to him. I said, like, what? I basically said something like, why is that a problem? And he said something like, because then people don't, then people know that you don't know the answer. And when it was my first job, I sort of believed him. And it wasn't until I left and met yeah. other leaders that I realized he was just an idiot. But like, how do you, how do you encourage like employees to do that like to, to speak up and ask questions yeah um first of all there's definitely nothing wrong with uh, uh asking questions i think uh, yeah it's unfortunate you had that initial and it's interesting yeah people usually don't ask questions because they think i don't know i don't want people to think i don't know yeah, um such a random but, thing isn't it when you think yeah, about it's, it's, that's it's the whole really point of a question. <laughs> because that's the point of the question to get to yeah. understand. Um, for so for me, I think firstly overcome that thinking. Um, I've found when I ask questions, um, and again, uh, using my current experience, I've, I'm just over a year in my my role, um, and I ask questions about the business. Why did we make these financial decisions? Mm. Uh, why did we invest in this and in that? And the feedback I've received is like, wow, we really like her because she's really interested in the business, you know, yeah. she really wants to know how things work. So I definitely think ask questions um, and ways to do it safely. One, well, I use the word safely, I mean, quite loosely, but I mean, I think, you know, safety is relative. I think safe, if you feel maybe more confident, I would say start small, um, start with your immediate team members, uh, maybe somebody who's more senior, uh, more and more as you get exposed to other forums or platforms or people, keep on asking questions. Uh, what I mentioned earlier is maybe you write your questions down, If also depending on the culture of the organization, if people would be receptive to that. So as a follow-up, you know, we had this meeting. I really thought you said you, you mentioned something really interesting. Uh, Matt, I'd like to know about this and that. And I think most of the time people are actually willing to um, to share their knowledge and experience, um, or maybe say, let's set up time to have a conversation, which is also a great way to then build a relationship from there. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would say. But also it's really find a buddy, someone where you feel comfortable and confident to maybe have those initial um, uh, conversations with, yeah. Well, I really want to capture that point for our listeners around starting small. Because sometimes mm -hmm. these things can be big and scary, but you can pick someone, can't you? Someone in the graphic design team that you may go for lunch with and, and ask them like, why did you design? Why did you yeah. design it that way? And then you just get, you're practicing the art to then 
maybe ask the financial director why we invested all this money in the Christmas party and all this kind of stuff later on. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's um, that's so that's so interesting. Um, this is my favourite question, um, and I ask all my guests to be as honest as they can on this one because some people put the old interview answers out like, "Oh, my biggest mistake is I'm a perfectionist and stuff like that." So, <laughs> um, what's been your biggest mistake in your career? Would you say? Um, I think in the early part of my career, not making my own career decisions. Mm. So, and for me, it's it's, a, it's the relationship that a lot of people have with authority. So whether you see that as your manager, the organization. So if people tell you, this is who you are, Njabulo, in the bigger scheme of things, and then you just believe that, you know? <laughs> but maybe sometimes you have a different view, like, oh, no, but I, I'm, I think I'm more, I could do better, I could do differently. Um, so I guess what I'm talking more around the ownership of my career. Um, I think there was a point in my career, um, I don't know if I can point it out exactly, but certainly as I grew, uh, and it's something that I talk about a lot to people, whether it's in a mentoring capacity or just as a senior leader saying, you really need to own your craft. It's not always about things happening to me, at me. Um, of course, we work in a context and in an organization and culture is such a powerful thing. So I'm definitely not uh, trying to downplay that the, you know, sometimes an environment is not conducive. However, a lot of the times we tend to feel like things are happening to us, at us. Um, my manager said the organization does not see me in this light. And I think that ownership mm. um, of your craft, that ownership of your destiny uh, is something that I personally feel um, at some point in my career, I was leaving it up to other people. If they say I'm great today, then I'm great. If I'm not great tomorrow, then I'm not great. Um, but it, what is it that you believe about yourself? What is it that you dream about and you aspire to things that you will be brave enough to go and taste? Um, and that's a different lens in terms of just that ownership, um, uh, which for me, I think is a mistake that a lot of people make. And I've definitely made that mistake previously as well. Yeah. Um Thank you for sharing that. I really, really appreciate it. There's a lot of people, I think, there's so much power to be taken from that, that, that you're giving, I think, sometimes you just need to hear from other people to give you a bit of confidence to do that for yourself. So yeah. I think, thank you for that. Um, the next point, I just, it's something that you, um, that you wrote about the other day, and I just thought it, we can use this platform here a little bit to help on it. You, I'll just read out, I'll read something back to you that you wrote, which is, Sadly, in 2022, we still see many leaders who cannot differentiate between diversity and inclusion. Mm. Um, we're really lucky, again, on the podcast, we've got people starting their careers. I'd probably estimate probably maybe 100, 150 CEOs listen to the podcast. So we've got a platform here. Um, can you differentiate between the two of us in, in a way that um, CEOs can take it away and think, oh, do you know what? I listened to this podcast today. Like we need we need to take this area forward. Is there? Can you help us on that part? Yeah, um, I've had so many interesting um, metaphors, analogies uh, over the course of my career. I like one is a cooking example. So diversity is you have all the ingredients. So you have your carrots and your potatoes and the meat and whatever, <laughs> depending yeah. on what meal you're going to make. Let's say it's a beef stew. Um, <laughs> uh, and 
the inclusion is really when you bring it all together, you know, to create uh, the flavor and to bring out, you know, uh, all, all, all of the good parts, you know, uh, or, or another one that I've heard is uh, being invited to the dance and then being asked to dance and actually yeah. be on the dance floor, you know, those are quite different things. Um, I don't I know if those love, are, you know, I love the flavor. I love the flavor one because yeah. it really puts it in a positive light about the blending everything together, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that every piece of ingredient is there to to actually create, you know, the stew, this meal, uh, this wonderful, delightful thing that you're trying to create. And uh, sometimes we just miss out because we left the spice there right there in front of us on the side, the salt, the sugar, again, depending on what we're trying to make. But when we bring everything together and I think even HR in context, because, you know, uh, unless you are running an HR agency, chances are you're not at the core of the business. It's either if they make widgets, it's whatever those widgets are. Uh, you know, if we I've worked for Heineken, we made beer, we made water, etc. Um, and you know, so production will be at the centre. I've worked at the National Treasury, the economists who write up the budget for the minister. They're at the core. But then where does HR fall and where does legal come in? Where does finance? And we tend to be support functions, enabling functions. But again, in that analogy of a meal coming together, if you understand it's not a competition with the core of the yeah. business or being a revenue generator, but it's about how everything comes together to enable this business, this organization, this environment to work, you then show up differently because I know that I'm here to support the people agenda. I'm here to enable, whether it's from a governance point of view with employment law, or it's something really strategic about shaping the talent landscape and how we're doing things. And I think coming back to, I know I'm a bit all over, but diversity and inclusion, it's exactly that. It's about, there's so many things that make up, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, but understanding that inclusion actually means tapping into those people, those resources, for them to bring their best selves, to be able to shed a light. And I think that's why I also, you know, of course, we we still talk a lot around performance management in most organizations. I like to talk about contribution because also that's really how all of us coming every day, showing up, it's about my contribution. And if you understand that all of this. Do you prefer contribution than performance or, or do you yeah. keep performance and add contribution to it? Are you saying we need a newer version or? Um, I mean, I, I, I personally, I prefer contribution, but I know people argue, yeah, but okay, but contributing towards, you know, whatever, high level performance, winning, Jabulo, you spoke about winning. Uh, but I think contribution really also helps the us to think about what is my part, right? Yeah. So if we, if it takes uh, three plus four to get to the seven, it's understanding that you you know you need the other parts to be able to get to this hole that you're yeah. trying to get to, and I think contribution helps a lot. Um, even with the cascade of these big messages, I've worked in a lot of organisations where people just have this belief where exco make decisions in a big dark room somewhere, and yeah. you know, and you know that's it. <laughs> and but a big part of understanding my contribution, why I show up every day is really about that cascade yeah. and ex and expanding those lines of accountability. It's not sitting with just the big bosses. Um, of course, the levels might differ in terms of the levels of accountability, but the fact that what I do contribute and combined with my colleague, we all contributing to a bigger picture. That's yeah. so important. Um, and I find, 
again, coming back to the diversity and inclusion discussion is, you know, there's been a bit of the tokenism or just putting the right people, a woman there, a black person there, or we seem to have diversity. But, yeah. you know, do those people feel welcome in those spaces to really be able to bring their best knowledge and say, yeah. I'm, I'm one and a quarter um, years at Vodacom, but I'm actually bringing 20 years of HR experience. And how do I translate my knowledge and experience for this context and this environment? Yeah. Um, and it's not everything that I know will always make sense here or fit yeah. here, because also a test of a true professional is actually your ability to translate your experience into that context and where the organization is at, not where you are or where you think it should be. And I think that dance requires an element of safety, psychological safety, a sense of being welcome, a sense of we believe we see you as a senior leader in Jabulo, as a 20-year-old career leader, and not just somebody who's one year in this organization. And so that makes me feel um, confident to say, yeah. okay, this is my understanding of whatever, employee relations. This is what I think from a wellness point of view, the trap could be. I've dealt with mental health issues in the workplace. This is what I've seen. And for that to happen, you need to feel welcome and safe, mm -hmm. not this is how things are done around here yeah. and this is the only way that it could be, you know? And that's always the challenging part, I think, for a lot of people. And that that's where all the sort of data connects up, isn't it? Because like we have the data and obviously the drivers of happiness and one of the top four drivers of happiness is psychological safety. We also we also did an advancing racial equity report with Shireen Daniels. She's her book's out today. It's called The Anti-Racist Organization. Oh, I don't yes. know if you've yeah. heard of that. I'll, I'll send yeah. you a copy um, if you haven't got a copy because oh, I, I got a pre-read. It's an amazing book, but wow. we did some analysis at Shireen on the data of diversity, inclusion, belonging, the correlation analysis showed kind of what you're saying there, which is, but it, it was actually saying belonging is the place to start because firstly, you just need to make people feel they belong in the organization, then you can fix all the other pieces. But I also want to capture that point. I love the the reason I can, the, the reason I can tell why you've been so successful in your career, just to replay what I'm hearing is that you're the first person that I've listened to um, talk about diversity and inclusion and almost create FOMO around it, which is you are missing out, like rather than like, because sometimes I think organizations want to change and sometimes they don't know how, but you've created the, in my, in everyone's listening's head, like you're missing out. This is just, you don't want to miss out on this. Mm. And I feel like you, yeah, that the way you explain that really, um, really, I think will really help the listeners. So thank you. Um, a next question I know a lot of people struggle with, um, is how to let me get to more senior levels how they in a hr career to start communicating with the ceo the board i know like you're doing non-exec stuff now like when when you're getting up to these levels how do you start communicating with cfos and ceos about the importance of the people agenda do you have any any tips for us on that um i think the one is it almost goes a little bit to the point I made around not having a low self-confidence about the HR, because I find sometimes HR people, I've heard so many HR people in fact say, well, I'm just a support function, I'm just HR. Yeah. Uh, but for me, one of the things is for us to take it seriously, so as HR professionals. So- um, point number one then, you have to take yourself and your function seriously first. Correctly. It's right. take yourself and your function seriously. So in yeah. the same way that my finance colleagues show up with their numbers, having done the work, having done the analysis, 
if there's a competitor having analyzed um, against the competition, I think for, for, for HR professionals is to take our profession seriously in terms of how we show up in the conversations. Um, and I think for me, talk the language of the business. So I always say don't yeah. have HR for HR's sake. Uh, yeah. because uh, mental health is trending, because whatever, whatever. But it's really linked to whatever the realities are at that time. Yeah. Um, for the organization, uh, your people agenda has to be in context. So yeah. for me, that's what I found also helps with my uh, senior colleagues, and that's where the credibility, the respect has come in. It's being able to talk to their reality, things right. that they experience. So if I look at my consumer business colleagues, uh, he's got a retail component, to his organization, um, you know, the employees who work in the retail space, people who didn't have the luxury of uh, being able to tune in virtually or not, they had to show up uh, if the shop was open, etc. Um, and, you know, people who have different realities, it's how do you bring the people agenda to close to their reality so that they feel that you're supporting them. Another colleague who's going through a technology transformation, it's mm. how do you talk to those realities around how am I building you, build your future capability to be able to be future ready and future proof. Uh, and so I find uh, people issues will always be important, but it's about making sure that it's within the context of where the organization is and where it's trying to go to. So to prove that I'm listening, I'm now going to change my next question and I'm going to give you more context. So for the listeners, my next question um, was um, around, do you believe employee happiness is important? But I'm going to give you more context on what I mean by that, which is, so when we at the Happiness Index talk about the top mm -hmm. drivers of happiness universally, we're talking about psychological safety, positive relationships, freedom to take opportunities and feelings of acknowledgement. So I've given you my context. Um, how important um, do you think employee happiness is to the success of an organization? Yeah, um, firstly, it's incredibly important. Um, I also define happiness from an employee point of view exactly along those same lines. You know, right. um, and in fact, one of <laughs> uh, one of the things quite early in my area, in, in my early early in my HR career, sorry, um, that I tried to do was to get out of HR because I felt like, well, people just think HR is just about balloons and fluffy things. Mm. Uh, you know, the lady who remembers our birthdays and only hugs us. And just feeling like HR gets spoken down to and not looked at yeah. in a particular way. And that was your that was um, your first experience of HR. That's what you started to realize. Where, well, that was the opinion. Yeah. That's, oh, in, that's interesting. Somewhere in the middle, to be fair. I mean, so okay. I, I feel I had one of the best starts in HR. In fact, precisely, maybe that's what kept me confident about HR was starting out with Unilever as a graduate. Right from day one, it was kind of like we are all equal, supply chain, whoever, production, HR, finance, this is what we're all here to contribute. That's where I've got my thinking around contribution, how we show up. It's not a competition in the business, but we're all making this wheel turn. But after that, I went on to other environments where, yeah, HR was looked at as in quite a, like the, the, the soft stuff, the airy-fairy things. Um, and I think coming back to your point and your question is, Employee happiness is not about that. It's not about uh, putting up balloons for people and making things bright and whatever. People want to feel seen. Yeah. Uh, and seen is part of what you said. It's about being I'm able, I'm seen as somebody who can uh, 
take on this opportunity. I can make a difference. I can put my fingerprints on this and say I was part of co-creating this solution. Uh, I was part of solving this. Um, it's about the psychological safety, which we spoke about earlier, to be able to show up. And so what I like, um, and you know, we speak, we, speak, we speak about employee happiness, and I see this shift towards employee experience. And I think yeah. in the same way that there was a huge focus on customer experience uh, yeah. in the, back in the day now, um, and, you know, just talking about the, the, the customized king and the customers at the center of everything, yeah. there is definitely a new recognition around the employee experience that employees are also consumers of this environment besides products and services of hr and other things but really we actually also hear consuming the leadership style the way things get done um and i think creating an environment with a psychological safety is there where it matters what my agenda is how i show up and how i bring my craft and my contribution i think for me those are things that come to mind when i think about employee experience and those are definitely important yeah no so so i mean you really bring it to life so thank you um so going on to the last question i realized when i was reading um reading one of your last posts a week ago that we both have the same uh, birthday this year the same landmark <laughs> oh really so, yeah and so let's um i just want to read again i'm just reading back um reading back uh, your post so uh, born in Alexandra Township and raised in Soweto um, and the East Rand, I represent the dreams of many South African township kids. So the question I've got for you, if um, it was back to the future and we got in the back, we could go back in time and we could, uh, let's pick an age, let's pick, let's pick uh, 10. Let's say we met the 10 year old you um, and the 10 year old you doesn't know who you are. You're just this this woman that there's that, that that you've passed and you have a little chat if you had if you had a couple of minutes to impart some um some words to the 10 year old you what what would you do what would you say sure um i didn't I tell you about this question because i thought I'll, um, <laughs> yeah the surprise <laughs> question <laughs> <laughs> i love it though um the 10 year old me i mean i would tell her it gets better. Um, that's one of the things I would tell her. Um, she needs to keep dreaming. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you picked 10 because nine was a particularly uh, tough year for me. I mean, so uh, my parents went through a divorce. Uh, we moved out of I guess, yes, living in the township, but relatively comfortable <laughs> in the township sense to really, I think, a bad place um and yeah and i think i mean even my i started i would almost say even co-parenting you know because my mom then uh, went into kind of an emotional mental um different space i think just following the divorce my dad was gone and i think you know um I, yeah, I became a co-parent almost to my younger sister. So I think nine for me, as, over the years, as I've processed my life, yeah. was such a big turning point where I almost, yeah, like I say, transitioned from pure childhood to co-parenting and just being in this difficult space, really. So I think, yeah, 10-year-old me should have been so stressed if I think about it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would just tell her that it gets better. She must just continue dreaming uh, and uh, continue reading. I was always yeah. hiding behind my books. And yeah. I think that was my escape um, yeah. into different worlds. And, uh, and yeah, and, and I think that still, 
I still dream a lot. I daydream yeah. a lot, and uh, and and yeah, and I think, well, yeah. So I'm, I don't I don't even know now what to say. <laughs> well, um, thing, go on, yeah. go on. If you got anything to add? No, no, no. I'm. Yeah, I guess thirty years later. Yeah, I mean, I it, it just uh, from from that ten year old. I mean, yeah, things really, really do get better. So yeah. and uh, you should trust yourself. I think would be one of the other things. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. I um, absolutely love the main point there about how important it is to have a dream yeah. um, and what you've done with your career. And I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing your journey because I know for a fact there are going to be people listening at different parts of their careers that are going to be really inspired by this. So I only have two things to say, which is happy birthday for the other week. And um, happy birthday to you. Yeah, thank you. I've still got um, about a week to go. So it sounds like we're both May babies, though. That's what nice. I was, that's what yeah, I was working out for the date. But um, happy birthday. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing. There's going to be so many people around the world that's going to be thankful for this. So I appreciate your time. No, thank you. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it.